4: Your
0: <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and you're listening to GCR eight five five AM here on Monday breakfast with Grace and Rob. It's been a while since I've seen you. How are you?
5: I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Grace?
0: I'm good, good. I've basically been alone for the past two yeah. weeks. So so glad to have you here again with me, so I'm not alone anymore. Yeah, you've been holding down
5: the ship really well.
0: <laughs> Thank you. How was your celebrate? how was your celebration since we couldn't ask you earlier in the year? How was it? How was your Oh my break? Of- yeah, your breaks sorry.
5: Yeah, it was it was busy, but a lot of driving, but really good. Um, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, I mostly just enjoyed when the Christmas New Year period ended. So then after that, you just got actual time off, mm. you know. <laughs> That's true. So, how was your break?
0: It was okay. I think I was basically just spending, um, using the time hum- to spend, To hang out with my family, Mm. but then um, I was also working at the same time because I didn't really get a break from there because I wasn't exactly. I feel like I've been really laid down on like just doing things casually at the moment. So like I didn't think it was necessary for me to like completely take a break from like Mm. not doing anything. So and my work hours are not too excessive anyways because i'm doing part-time so yeah it's it's okay yeah i would say it's quite chill as well but yeah nice. do you have any new year resolutions you know might be a bit too late to ask
5: <laughs> <laughs> um look i've been obviously been asked this question a lot but i actually don't think so i mean exactly. i i moved houses like literally over the weekend um and honestly that's it like Mm. obviously just really happy with everything i'm doing yeah just going with the flow as well going with the flow that's it yeah i
0: feel like resolutions don't really (laughs) work anymore like sometimes i guess it's a motivation but then yeah a lot of us things don't work out the way we want it to towards the years yeah so anyways let's get to headlines yeah all right uh Australia's earning less than $115,000 are set to benefit from changes to the Stage 3 Tax Cuts package from July. This is after the Federal Cabinet has approved plans to change the tax code. So this includes those earning less than $45,000 who were set to miss out under the Stage 3 Tax Cuts legislated under the previous coalition government. And for those earning between $50,000 to $130,000, dollars will see the biggest benefit from the report changes, according to the modelling created by Associate Professor Ben Phillips at the Australian National University. Those earning above $150,000 will see a smaller tax cut than they otherwise would have. Australians earning less than $45,000 were not set to get a tax cut in July, but, they w- but now they will. The changes to the tax code, which still needs to be passed in the Parliament, includes reinstating the 37% tax bracket that was set to be abolished, lowering the rate for the bottom tax bracket to 16% and lowering the threshold for the top tax rate to $190,000. So basically, all Australia, all Australians will get a tax cut, but for many on higher incomes, it will be a smaller tax cut than they were expecting.
5: Famine is imminent in the Gaza Strip due to Western countries' pause of funding for the UN's Agency for Palestinian Affairs. The halt of funding by the US and nine other countries comes after an Israeli accusation that 12 of the group's members took part in the October 7 attacks last year. Michael Fakri, the UN special reporter on the Right to Food, made these comments on Sunday night, adding that this move collectively punishes over 2.2 million Palestinians. The UN is currently investigating Israel's claims. However, the country has not public- publicly shared details of its allegations against the UNRWA.
0: Awesome. Well, listeners, you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Stay tuned.
2: This summer, wildlife are feeling the heat of climate change. Wildlife becomes stressed and unwell in hot weather and every summer, Wildlife Victoria receives tens of thousands of calls for wildlife assistance. You can make a positive difference to the future of wildlife by donating to Wildlife Victoria. Your donation will help us rescue and care for heat-affected native animals. The future of wildlife is in your hands. Donate to Wildlife Victoria at wildlifevictoria.org.au Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter.
6: No more whispering in our arms Gonna rise up to break these chains And stop these
7: killings Indigenous Social Justice Association, Melbourne, invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne, to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager, TJ Hickey. Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday, at the State Library. Eastshire Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
8: Donations to Transfamily are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Transfamily is a 3CR supporter.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM here on Monday Breakfast with Grace and Rob. Now we're going to be going to a segment, this is by host Jazal Hanna from Sick Together, speaking to Elmer Labok, who is the General Secretary of the Kusang Usang Uno, the Military Union Federation in the Philippines, about the trade unionists in the Philippines that are being targeted by Marcos Jr. administration and are being extrajudicially executed in order to prevent their organizing attempts. Let's take a listen.
2: Red tagging has been used for decades in the Philippines in the government's campaign against the communist New People's Army, which began in 1969. The government's counter-insurgency efforts include publicly accusing activists, journalists and trade unionists of being directly involved in the fighting or supporting of the MPA. The Philippine military has long been responsible for large numbers of extrajudicial killings and torture of alleged communists. Red tagging continued under successive Philippine governments, including Gloria Arroyo, Benigno Aquino, Rodrigo Duterte, and now today, Bongbong Bong Marcos Jr. My guest today is Elma Labog, the General Secretary of the Kilosang Mayo Uno, the militant trade union federation in the Philippines. He's discussing the latest in their campaign to end the extrajudicial killings of trade unionists.
9: The latest. The uh, victim of uh, extrajudicial execution, which uh, took place last September 29, is a veteran Kmu organi- organizer, uh, Jude Tadeus Fernandez. No? He was uh, he was uh, being presented a uh, an arrest warrant, and that uh, the usual narrative of the police is that uh, uh he fought back or in the uh in the uh, slang of uh of Filipinos here it means that uh, uh it, it it's called nanlaban no? or he fought back. So they they usually use this uh excuse to uh eliminate their victims uh, easily without uh, uh without really uh any any mercy uh, towards their uh their victims. And uh, quite uh, surely uh, Jude Fernandez was gunned down right uh, in his uh, in his house. And that uh, uh, the the uh, narrative of the uh, police that uh, Jude fought back is uh, a a blatant lie as there were no uh, signs of commotion or 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 uh, noises that were Noise that were heard from his house by uh, their neighbors. So uh, obviously, the, the operation was indeed a clear case of, uh, of a premeditated murder, uh, bordering into the uh, case of uh, extrajudicial killing. Even, uh, af- uh, even after the killing of uh, Jude uh, Fernandez happened, uh, right uh, after his killing was uh, another another uh, assassination of a Filipino journalist uh, based in uh, Misamis Occidental, where he was uh, mercilessly gunned down by an assassin uh, by shooting Juan Humalon, or uh, who was uh, uh, better known as uh, alias DJ uh, Johnny Johnny Walker. No? He was he was in his booth and uh, performing his work uh, during his uh, program. And uh, the, the uh, assassin walked in and uh, pumped uh, uh, a bullet in his mouth and uh, that caused his death. If uh, we would discern the, uh, the case of Jude Fernandez, this is uh, uh, exactly the same uh, case. Uh, that happened to Mani Asuncion, no? where the uh, fully armed uh, combat ready police officers, 15 of them, uh, barged into the uh, office of uh, Jude uh, of uh, Mani Asuncion. He was uh, one of the victims of the uh, bloody Sunday massacre. The case of uh, Jude Fernandez was the 72nd case of extrajudicial killing, and that uh, uh, this is the number since 2016 when we filed the case uh, in in uh, with the ILO. It was like uh, uh, the 68th case, and now it suddenly jumped to 72nd, and therefore Juan Humalon would be the 73rd victim already uh, of uh, of the killings, and his and Jude is the fourth, and Juan Humalon would be the fifth under the uh, government of Mr. Marcos. So the uh, uh, the ITUC has uh, consistently listed the Philippines in, in its past uh, seven years of research as one of the most dangerous countries for workers to live in. You know? And that the uh, unionist activist organizers and uh, the general public are suppressed. Uh, in order to uh, to deter their campaigns for minimum wage increases, a family living wage, uh, a, a, a struggle for national minimum wage, job security and freedom of association. So if you will uh, look at the, uh, the uh, uh, issues that are being fought for by workers, you will notice that there are legitimate uh, 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 issues. That are commonly uh, uh, carried uh, by various uh, various uh, organizations, not only in the Philippines, but these are common uh, common issues that are being uh, fought for by uh, many workers and workers' organizations globally. With the unabated increase of of uh, prices of goods and the services, the real uh, value of workers wages are are diminished no and uh, the the uh, uh uh continuous rate of inflation uh it's up to the very low uh wage levels that are existing all over the country with a uh, a wage uh, system where uh it is uh, regionalized uh because of the uh, the uh development paradigm of government that when wages are much lower then they would uh, attract more uh, investors so they they came out with a law in uh, nineteen eighty nine where the uh, uh, implementation of region of a regionalized wage system existed and therefore uh, for workers that would be farther away from metro Manila their uh, their wages are much lower but then the the uh the cost of living are all the same on a nationwide scale so uh th- this defeats the purpose of really uh uh keeping up wages that would uh, that would be able to cope up with the uh, existing uh, uh uh rate of inflation all over the country so whilst those uh, workers uh in the regions would have lower wages uh the the uh, uh the cost of living all over the country are almost uh equal while uh, there was a 40 peso increase for uh, workers wages in uh, metro manila uh, the other regions have also had their own uh, increases but they are much lower than 40 pesos and so this is not even enough to buy a kilo of rice where a kilo of rice was uh, promised by uh, Marcos to be twenty pesos, no a kilo. Uh, this is his campaign uh, campaign call, and it had been uh, two years already. But then the prices of uh, of uh, rice remains uh, high as uh, the uh, the uh, uh volume of uh, rice uh, importation has uh, Uh, increased tremendously under the reign of uh, Mr. Marcos. So, 40 pesos was uh, added up to the wages in Metro Manila, but then this is just uh, uh, not sufficient uh, to to, uh, come up with the uh, existing family living wage, which is equivalent to 20 US dollars a day. And the current highest minimum wage, because uh, in a regionalized uh, setup is only the equivalent of 11 uh, 11 us dollars and 70 cents so uh, we are still struggling for uh wages that would really be uh appropriate for the ever increasing rate of inflation especially where the uh, prices of uh, uh oil and petroleum products keeps rising up every uh uh tuesday of the week so uh, uh it, this is a major uh, a major uh, struggle that we're carrying out as uh, the uh, united uh, or, or the ILO has pointed out that uh, uh, the wage struggle is a common uh, struggle for all workers worldwide as uh, the uh, ever-increasing rate of inflation hits uh, uh, strongly against the, uh, the capacity, the purchasing capacity of workers uh, in, in every part of the globe. So it has uh, come up with a survey pointing out that the uh, struggle for wages is a, a top priority for uh, wages, for workers' uh, struggle all over the world. So uh, we we uh, we fight for uh, wages uh, all over all over the country. And uh, another another issue is the issue of contractualization, where uh, thousands of workers across the country are uh, victims of uh, of uh, the uh, contractualization scheme. No, where uh, almost forty two point forty two percent. Plus no, of uh, workers in the Philippines are now contractuals, meaning that they are not uh, direct uh, uh, employees of uh, of uh, principal principal employers, but they are uh, being employed by a, a third party, where uh, this third party uh, contracts out labor with the um, uh, the uh, principal employers uh, c- c- cutting. The wages of workers lower, and that their uh, their security of tenure is not uh, being guaranteed, guaranteed by their uh, em- employers. Whereas uh, uh, in 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 theory, the right of workers to uh, to uh, form organization and have a living wage is clearly etched in the Philippine Constitution. As well as the uh, provisions of the Labor Code, so you will uh, you will take note that the uh, the rate of uh, employment is still uh, high in the Philippines. Now we have uh, two point two million jobless Filipinos and five point seven million are underemployed. The uh, next issue is the. Violations of trade union rights. I have already uh, underscored the case of Jude, uh, Jude uh, Fernandez, and that of Mani Asuncion, and uh, the uh, cases of abductions uh, and uh, and and uh, forced dif- disappearances are still uh, an ongoing thing. It was a shameless position taken up by, taken by the. Uh, 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 government representative in the ilo where uh, they claimed that uh, the case of uh, of uh, the killing of uh, Alex uh, dolorosa is a simple case of uh, robbery whereas uh, Alex dolorosa who was a a, a a an active member of the of the uh, LGBT community as well as uh, a, a very prominent uh, organizer of uh, the whole uh, Center employees in, in Bacolod had been uh, kidnapped and kept for three days. And when he was uh, discovered, his uh, body had bore uh, uh, 34 stab wounds. So why why uh, uh, rob a poor worker? If it's really a case of robbery, why not uh, a, a rich worker? Uh, a rich person. So, this this uh, argument, this reasoning, doesn't hold water. And so, uh, the government representative in the last ILO uh, conference had received flack from uh, the delegates of the uh, ILO in all uh, levels of representation, from the IL uh, ILO government and uh, and employer uh, labor and employers.
0: And that was host Giselle Hanna speaking to Elmer Labok, who is the general secretary of the Kuluzang Mayo Uno, which is the military union federation in the Philippines. Talking about the trade unionists in the Philippines that are currently being targeted by the Marcos, Marcos Junior administration and are being extrajudicially judicially executed in order to prevent their organizing attempts. We're going to be listening to a song now. This is called Perfect Home by Diana Wolf.
3: All I need is a glass of wine All I need is a glass of wine A few good friends And you
0: You're listening to Three CR eight five five AM on Breakfast Show over here with Grace and Rob. Now, recently Victoria, oh, before that, that the song before that you heard, that beautiful jazzy song there was called "Perfect Home" by Diana Wolf. Anyways, now recently Victoria has seen a surge in overdosing at music festivals on back-to-back weekends in Melbourne. So this has actually sparked a debate on acquiring pill testing in Victoria which in short is a harm reduction strategy that allows a person who is already in a possession of a drug to test out what is already in it. Currently, trials of pill testing are already underway in ACT and Queensland. However, however, the Victorian government has no plans in introducing such practice at the moment. Joining me this morning is Dr Adrian Faruja, who is a Senior Research Fellow in the Drugs, Gender and Sexuality Programme at the Australian Research Centre in in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University. We discuss whether is pill testing the answer to reducing harm of drug use. Good morning, Adrian.
10: Morning, thanks for having me
0: on. Lovely to have you. Now, Adrian, can we first, before we dive into whether pill testing is the answer, can you tell us what are party drugs, which a lot of people have been using in music festivals, and what do they include?
10: Yeah, Yeah, important question. Um, I mean, party drugs, Used to kind of be referred to the, by using the term club drugs. So it's the kind of uh, drugs that people associate with like dance festivals and partying in clubs and that kind of thing. And most generally, they're, or well, historically, they've been amphetamine type stimulants. So the classic one would be like ecstasy or MDMA, as well as things like speed and cocaine. But, you know, as with these sort of c- categories, they kind of move in shape changed by the kind of practices that, that of the people who are participating in, these, in this form of consumption sort of changes over time. So more recently, things like GHB and ketamine would also be considered within a category of body uh, drugs. Mm.
0: So it basically can be any drugs in that sense?
10: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's, you know, can, a category like this, yeah, it's it, it sort of socially constructed and kind of moves over time.
0: mm and how has the youth drug consumption situation recently been in Australia? and like because what we can see that drugs have been affecting the youth particularly?
10: Yes, yeah, I mean it's it's always kind of a complex uh, sort of task to kind of get a kind of um, overall idea of what drug consumption's like in a country like Australia. So I mean, in terms of like large trends, so The latest kind of population-level data suggests that about 38% of young people aged 14 to 24 um, have tried an illicit drug at least once. Mm. And the most common within that would be cannabis, ecstasy or MDMA and cocaine. Um, But we also know that over time, the proportion of young people consuming drugs is actually decreasing. So um, in about 2001... About 50% of young people reported having used illicit drugs, so there's been this drop there. Mm -hmm. And alongside that, there's been a significant decrease in alcohol consumption among young people. Um, But at the same time, other things are happening. So while overall sort of levels of use have decreased, some of the key party drugs have actually increased their popularity. So uh, 7.6% of young people have tried ecstasy, which is the highest uh, uh, since 2007 mm-hmm. and um, again over 7% for cocaine and almost 3% for ketamine, which are both the highest rates since 2001. So, you know, it's a kind of, it's a tricky picture. So some 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 substances are sort of increasingly less in vogue while others are coming, sort of coming back into fashion.
0: Mm, I see. And coming into the topic of pill testing, it's, it basically helps to inform people about the drugs but can you tell us how exactly it works and can you give us an example
10: yeah yeah so I mean the sort of depending on the kind of service but the sort of the pill testing that's sort of being debated which are these kind of festival festival services mm. um, you know they, they would have like their tent or whatever set up in the festival itself and then young people can go in or the you know festival the patrons can go and use it and they can provide a sample of, of of the substances they've got and uh, hang around a bit while the people working in the service will will test them, right? So the key thing that really provides young people with or the the patrons with is um, knowledge about the chemical content of the drugs and and also, very importantly, the purity or the strength of the drugs that they've got. So an example might be a a person at a festival uh, has a few ecstasy pills and maybe they've heard that they're not so strong. So the person they got them from said, oh, they're not the strongest. Um, they're not going to, like, blow your head off. So they think, okay, well, maybe what I should do is have one straight away or maybe even more than that, you know, because they're not so strong. So they can go and have this pill tested beforehand and potentially they find out that these particular pills are actually very high strength, which has actually been happening uh, recently in Victoria. So maybe they find out that there's not many adulterants, but they're actually very pure and therefore very strong uh, pills. And so with this knowledge, they can realize, you know, maybe having only having, maybe having a half, a whole one is unwise. Maybe they should only have a half to begin with and that kind of thing. And, you know, so it's also an opportunity for the people working at the service to um, provide other kinds of information. So you know, they can provide just, you know, sort of reminders of very classic standard harm reduction information, like other ways of keeping safe that aren't connected to drugs in particular. Maybe they have to remind them of the hot weather, of drinking water, all that kind of thing as well as providing information about other kinds of support that might be available separate to the pill testing. So alcohol and other drug services that are available in Melbourne or in Victoria and generally, generally and, and that kind of thing, which might be relevant too.
0: Mm, I see. And currently in ACT and Queensland, they have started trials on pill testing services. And is how, how successful has it been so far here in Australia? Has it proven? Is it safe?
10: Yeah, so I mean... The, my understanding is that they've been relatively successful. So I'm, I know more about the ACT one, just because it was done a little while ago, so there's been time to have um, a few evaluations of it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was first conducted at a festival called Groove in the Moon. I think it was in 2019, and I know that, yeah, an independent evaluation of that found that it was um, the service was highly rated by young people as well as the other stakeholders involved in setting it up. Um, it was used by over 200 people, and overall, when they were when when those patrons were told that the drugs included chemicals that they didn't expect, they did report that they were less likely to consume them. So that's kind of one of the key measures you'd want for a pill testing service to achieve. And importantly, while some participants or patrons said that they still planned on trying their drug, because you know, importantly, these services actually it remains the choice of the patron using them. They don't actually force them to do anything. It's just about providing information. Um, but when they said that they might still try their drug, they reported that they were going to use these other harm reduction strategies that, that they were told, you know, at the time, sort of reminded that at the time, like, you know, only using half or, or that kind of things are going slow. And that, the success of that actually led to the establishment of a fixed site service in Canberra called CanTest. And so that's a kind of uh, service available uh, outside of festivals. So you can just go at any time. So, you know, in, in terms of have these things been proven safe, well, It's a complicated question because, you know, no drug consumption within an unregulated market can really be truly safe. Mm -hmm. It can certainly be safer. Um, And so pill pill testing, for me, has proven to be a pragmatic response to the potential dangers of some drugs that kind of come within an unregulated uh, drug market. So overall, I think it's a pragmatic and and very reasonable thing to do within this kind of broader context.
0: Mm, I see, very interesting Well Agent, I'm just going to have to pause you there for a moment You can just stay with us uh, But to our, our listeners out there You're listening to 3C, 3CR 855AM Stay tuned
11: The law is part of our everyday lives Including when we buy something, use a service, have a job or rent a house The law can be used to help protect and support families when there is violence in the home or disputes over parenting arrangements. Sometimes we might need to understand the law to navigate specific government systems like Centrelink, getting a residency visa or if we come into contact with the police. Community legal centres provide free, quality legal advice and assistance to help people with everyday legal problems. We focus on working with people who are experiencing disadvantage such as financial hardship, family violence, homelessness and discrimination. Community legal centres are independent, non-government organisations and can be found across Victoria and Australia. If you're experiencing a legal problem, your local community legal centre may be able to help. To find a community legal centre near you, visit the Federation of Community Legal Centres Victoria at www.fclc.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
0: And you're here with Tricia, here, here on our breakfast show with Grace and Rob. Now, I was actually just speaking to Dr. Adrian Faruja who is a Senior Research Fellow in the Drugs, Gender and Se- Se- Sexuality Program at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University. And you were just discussing whether it is pill testing the answer to reducing, reducing harm of drug use, although we have not get to that point yet. Now, Adrian, you're one of your focus that you were looking at was on youth drug education, which is one of your research focus. And you published a thesis about years ago, looking at a perspective of politics and ethics of drug education's articulation of young people. So what is the issue here with Australian drug education and and with its involvement with youth drug consumption?
10: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, one of my kind of, well, my key concern with drug education is kind of analysing it um, as a kind of political or or an intervention into health with political and ethical kind of dimensions or ramifications. So, um, you know, one of the questions for me is, you know, know, does drug education have the possibility of not only potentially being unhelpful, uh, but potentially harmful? So, you know, a lot of uh, or, or, you know, the vast majority of research on drug education would analyse its effectiveness, right? And so it, its effectiveness is kind of considered, does drug education make young people less likely to consume drugs? Does it make them more knowledgeable about the harms of drugs and all that kind of thing? And that's, and, and if it does these things, it's considered effective effective drug education. And, you know, I've analysed a lot of drug education that's, that's positioned as effective in this way. But if you ask different questions, politically motivated or or ethically motivated, politically informed questions, you the sort of other questions about effectiveness come to mind or or start to emerge. So, I mean, one thing that I'm interested in, like, does drug education have the potential to increase the stigmatization of people who consume drugs, for example, or how does drug education assess things like um gender and kind of double standards around alcohol consumption and you know uh you know if someone can cons- if one person consumes a certain amount they can cons- they're understood socially in one way and maybe negatively and another group might be understood positively well how does it address things like um the relationship between drug consumption and sex for different genders and that kind of and and, and that kind of thing so those kinds of questions aren't really asked by a lot of research, those politically informed questions. And mm. I think a lot of problems around these issues, um, are, you know, I've I've come to uncover because I've been kind of asking these different questions than the effectiveness questions that are usually asked. Um, I mean, one of the key findings of the research that I've done is that when drug education struggles to acknowledge the variety or the complexity of drug experiences or young people's drug experiences, and so this includes what's fun about them. Mm-hmm. It can actually make young, its audience or so young people actually very sceptical of, of its messages. Mm-hmm. So if they sort of, you know, they're quite savvy, if they perceive it to just be an anti-drug message or whatever, they can kind of switch off. And the kind of next effect of that is it can actually make them or they, you know, they've reported becoming quite sceptical of other kinds of information that are then perceived to come from official or government resources. So in this way, drug education can kind of undermine its own
0: claim to authority. I see. And what a lot of concepts you were exploring was looking at peer pressure and decision making, rational decision makings mm. and and I guess do you think it's the lack of understanding towards young people's complex social relations, uh, when it, it that's obviously quite involved in a lot of parties and everything, that that do you think that's missing in the Australian drug education's understanding towards avoiding harm?
10: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the central issues, I think, is this kind of inability or unwillingness or just general struggle to kind of understand the complexity of youth, alcohol, and other drug consumption practices. And so, you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, approaching these things as something with kind of multiple, you know, multiple roles in someone's life, multiple effects, and multiple motivations. So, and, you know, part of it is accepting that, you know, fun and pleasure are a key part of why young people use these things and why they're kind of meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't really, just can't only focus on harm. So, you know, the the peer pressure example is a good one. Like, you know, drug education often uses that as a kind of classic way of understanding how someone comes to try drugs and sort of tries to train young people in ways of resisting this or saying no to these offers of of drugs. But you know, all, you know, so many of the young people that I interview when I speak, they don't report this kind of narrative of, of mm. how they come, to, how they came to try these things at all. And and they, it really doesn't sort of speak to their lived experience of these things. That is true. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of like, it, it, as, as a result of kind of, you get this kind of simplistic account of young people's social lives, which I think sort of is unhelpful.
0: Mm. Very interesting. I think as a fellow young person myself, I can say peer pressure is not something to easily just say that, oh, you don't have to uh, listen to your friends, but yeah, easier said than done. <laughs> totally understandable there. So, and I guess now it just really comes to the question here we've all been wanting to answer. Do you think pill testing can help improve youth awareness towards drug consumption? And is it the answer? Yeah,
10: well, but pill testing is, is is definitely one important strategy that can reduce harm. So it can certainly improve young people's awareness about the drugs they're interested in trying and relevant information, like other information such as harm reduction strategies or other kinds of drug services that are available and that kind of thing. Importantly, like I said, you know, provides information about the purity and adulterants in the drugs that are sort of in their hand at that very, that very time. And also it has this other effect, like it, it contributes the data, um, more general, so, you know, more generally. So, you know, where drug education... Prov- uh, sorry, on drug education, pill testing, where it provides, uh, finds information about chemicals that are kind of have entered the drug supply, this can then sort of become part of a public database, which then can sort of inform the public about potentially bad, patch- uh, bad batches of drugs that are going around. Mm. So in a way that that can actually help inform people that are separate to the festival itself it can become part of a more broad- a broader public service. And, well, is it the answer? Well... I mean, it's certainly one answer that helps address some of the harms of an unregulated drug market, mm. but, you know, given drugs are pro- 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 prohibit- prohibited, they're produced within an illegal economy, you know, as that is the case, it's always going to be hard to comprehensively address the kinds of harms that we've seen recently in Victoria. So it's not a, the only answer, it's just one important sort of pragmatic response to these issues.
0: Mm. And unfortunately, pill testing isn't available in Victoria at the moment. So how can young Victorians help to reduce and avoid harms of drug use?
10: Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of um, very kind of, um, you know, considered classic advice around how to how to reduce harms related to drugs. So, you know, the one is to, is to try never to consume alone. Try and consume these things uh, with trusted people, people in your life. Uh, who can help? You know, you can look out for each other if anything goes wrong. Um, going slow, so potentially sampling a bit of what you've got and waiting to see what happens, what its strength is, and that kind of thing before having more, because you can always have more, but you can't then just have less if you've had too much to begin with. Trying to purchase drugs from a trusted source, if possible, mm. uh, but this is a tricky one because, as we know, you know, people don't always know about the you know the ingredients of the drugs, even if they were there might be one. Uh, ingredient one week and then they've changed, but you know that's still good advice to try and buy from a, a trusted source and be aware of your environment. so you know if, are you around people that you feel comfortable with, that you feel safe with and that kind of thing, as well as um, non-drug related things. so like what's the weather like? you know heat exhaustion was a key thing in this event, these events that happened in Victoria recently. So you know do I need to be making sure you know make sure I'm drinking water and all that all that kind of thing. And then another one is um, the available of home testing kits. So there are ways of testing drugs at home, and these can be purchased online, mm-hmm. and they give you a picture of um, the chemicals that are present in in a drug. So they give you they can give you a, a picture of the presence of adulterants. Mm-hmm. But the key thing and the key drawback is they do not provide information on purity. So if someone sees that maybe the ecstasy pill they have doesn't have any adulterants, they think that they, that's great. They think that's good. Um, but, it, but it can still have a very highly potent dose of MDMA and therefore still be quite dangerous. And so other strategies like only sampling a bit and that kind of thing will remain essential even if you have one of these um, home testing kits.
0: I see. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Eugen. It's been lovely having you.
10: No worries. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. And that was Dr. Adrian Faruja, who is the Senior Research Fellow in the Drugs, Gender and Sexuality Program at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University. And we were discussing whether is pill testing the answer to reducing harm of drug use. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Stay tuned.
5: Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 8400 7300. That's 8400 7300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au a 3CR support. Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR Radical Radio, 855 AM. That was Poltergeist by Dan. Uh, hope I it, hope it helped you all wake up on this Monday morning.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did think it was a rock song. So sorry, listeners out there, if that would have scared you.
5: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll just head to some headlines now. The New South Wales government has known for more than a decade that producers of soil fill made from construction and demolition waste uh, have, uh, have ignored rules to prevent the spread of contaminants such as asbestos and lead into the community. An investigation by The Guardian has revealed that these breaches by industry means potentially contaminated soil fill might have been applied across the state, particularly, particularly in schools, childcare centres, parks and residential areas. The state's environmental regulator abandoned tightening policy in 2022 following a warning from the waste industry that the changes would increase the cost of landfill disposal, put more waste into landfill and put skip bin companies out of business. The potentially contaminated product, known as recovered fines, is soil or sand substitute made from processed construction and demolition waste. Including skip bin residue after all recyclable material has been removed. According to Professor Ravi Nadu, a prominent international expert in soil pollution from the University of Newcastle, says the asbestos potentially found in recovered finds poses a risk because inha- inhalation can take f- asbestos fibers into your lungs, which then become stuck.
0: Mm. And for all Swifty out there, Swifties out there, Taylor Swift searches have been blocked on X, also known as Twitter, previously, after fake explicit images of pop singer has spread. The White House press secretary calls for the, the fake images alarming and adjusts social media companies to prevent spread of such information. So it's basically a fake sexually explicit image of the pop singer that popularized on social media this week according to an executive said on Sunday. So the searches for Swift's name on Sunday afternoon, just yesterday, on the social media platform, you the error message, quote, something went wrong, try reloading. So... According to Joe Benarok, the head of business operations at X said that this is just a temporary action and done with an abundance of caution as we prioritize safety on this issue. Mm. So if it was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year in 2023 after launching a record-shattering shat- global tour and becoming the world's most streamed musical artist. Wow. So, yeah, crazy that... Honestly, I was just... Out to, me, to me, if something not not appropriate is on social media. I don't think you, it makes any sense just blocking the searches on yeah. social media, like it, as if Google didn't it doesn't, doesn't seem exist. like a suitable solution. Exactly, like <laughs> I guess because ac- apparently according to X, the image was actually viewed forty-seven million times. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy amount.
5: There's so many so, views.
0: So I guess uh, it's obviously advisable and yeah. best to take down the image. But I really don't think. S- Taking down searches, was any
5: help? It doesn't really make any sense to me. I mean, uh, I haven't really spent... To be fair, I haven't really spent that much time on X since Elon Musk took over it. But from what I have spent on it, it's just been so much, like, spam and all of these robots just, like, tweeting random stuff. And so it's, it's clear that, like, all of that stuff will stay on the platform mm. but it
0: it like, it, it, can, it can still be spread like there's so many like yeah. there's reddit and there's like instagram and there's yeah. snapchat and there's be real and everything yeah. like images can surface anywhere and especially for someone as famous as Taylor you know, swift. swift like it's it, i yeah. just didn't think it makes sense but i guess it helps whoever who was trying to go into x because mm. cause I guess only when it comes to social media, there's only so much the platform itself can take care of. So I guess yeah. that's, the only, that's the only thing they could do. So, yeah. yeah. I
5: mean, you know, excess like reduced staff um, mm. pretty substantially since Elon Musk took over. So, and it's also a question of whether Elon Musk actually wants to delete content that's potentially harmful because... You know, that place has got a lot of harmful content.
0: That's true. Well, listeners, just stay tuned with us and we'll be back with you shortly. This is a song called Interview by Den.
5: That was interview by Dan. Uh, you're listening to Monday Breakfast at 3CR with Grace and Rob. After several days of picketing the web dock to stop a Zim container ship in solidarity with Palestine, the, picken- the picket was broken up on last Monday evening by police using pepper spray and other coercive methods. Since then, the Melbourne Activist Legal Support has issued a statement of concern regarding the policing at the picket. Uh, I'm here live with Sophie from Mause to discuss the problematic policing at the dock. Hi Sophie, how are you?
12: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
5: Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, First of all, can you just describe um, how the action was broken up by police last Monday?
12: Yeah, for sure. So the action at the dock was broken up over several hours. First, the inside of the port was cleared of protesters, leaving only those who were locked on. Mm. Uh, Inside the port, those remaining were removed from their lock-ons and eventually taken to police stations for processing. During that time, people outside, including those who'd come down to, to the port after police had arrived, were dispersed by police by a range of uses of force and often dangerous crowd control measures. MALS um, had a team of six legal, legal observers at the site, uh, observing observing and documenting the police actions, monitoring for infringements of human rights and unlawful police actions. We were also able to document the arrest of those people who were locked on and provide them with information about their rights when under arrest.
5: Wow. And what, what exactly was the, the pretense for breaking the picket up?
12: Uh, it's our understanding that the picket was broken up for the crime of trespass. Uh, the picket that had started on Friday afternoon had been successfully stopping the docking of a Zim ship uh, and was located on private property of the port.
5: Mm, right. And reading the um, account of what happened on that night was quite disturbing, and I, I've I've also seen like a few videos across social media of what what happened. Um, but particularly concerning was the removal of a person from their wheelchair. Um, I'm just trying to sort of. I've been trying to sort of wrap my head around why the police would do this.
12: Mm. Yeah. Look, we we don't know why why mm. the police um, did that particular made that particular decision. Um, we don't know what their reasoning was for removing the person from their chair, holding them on the ground, detaining them behind police lines. Uh, we had observers who were there, and as you said, there's lots of footage online mm. um, of that incident. Uh, from our observations, this decision seemed wholly unjustified and very dangerous.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, the document itself, the, the statement of concern that Mel's released, uh, mentions that at least one of the people, one of the first aiders treating people who had um, who had been pepper sprayed was arrested. Is that right?
12: Yeah, so we received a report of that. We haven't been able to um, have anyone come forward to say that that was them. So we're not sure if um, the person was given any charge. We haven't got any further details of those circumstances. Um, it might have been that the person was detained by police and then released um, on site mm-hmm. Um, Whatever interaction it was, uh, it's very concerning. Medics and people who provide first aid are critical um, in these protest situations. They provide very important immediate aid to injured people. And Mm. any mistreatment of people providing this care is dangerous and and nonsensical.
5: Mm, Of course, yeah. Um, And is that the case that the, the treatment areas for people being pepper sprayed were located... Um, away from the police lines and even outside the, the dock itself, right?
13: Yeah,
12: so people had set up spaces to treat people for OC spray um, injuries and other injuries uh, on public uh, accessible footpaths uh, in spaces where they had tried to do that away from where action was, was happening but close enough to be able to get people there. So, yeah, efforts were made to locate areas uh, in in what people thought was safe.
1: Mm.
5: Right, and how? Um, how like, how much pepper spray was used? Was it a lot of pepper spray?
13: Yeah,
12: we documented many instances of pepper spray being used um, to clear spaces, to uh, force what we observed to be to force compliance. Um, you know, like you mentioned mm. before, the pepper spraying of the medics and their. Um, we had reports that even their equipment was sprayed. We don't know. The police rationale for obstructing and preventing the provision of first aid, Um, again, we think that that was just very dangerous and unjustified. Mm. Um, These police actions, particularly concerning the use of OC spray as the crowd dispersal tool, um, they generally create a very chaotic, unpredictable and dangerous situation. And from our observation, it seemed that the police were more concerned with dispersing the crowd than the health and safety or their
5: human rights. Wow. That is very concerning and pretty scary, quite frankly. Um mm. can you um I also just want to talk about how um the organization MALS um documented that even people from Mals itself and other observers were kind of blocked from observing the breaking up of the of the picket? Mm.
12: Yeah, so the Victoria Police response to legal observers changes um, from event to event. It depends on the nature of the protest, Mm. who the protesters are, who the individual police officers in charge are for that day, whatever the situation is. Legal observers will go in, will make our presence known to police, mm. will assert our right to observe and monitor police actions. And um, we do that so that we can bring attention to any misconduct, when and if it happens. Um, but it often is, a, you know, can sometimes be quite a stressful or high-intense situation. Um, on Monday night, we had some mixed interactions with police. Uh, the observers who were inside the port with people locked on generally had, were having a facilitative relationship. But those who were outside with the crowd Uh, that was being um, coercively dispersed by police were often repeatedly and aggressively questioned about the legitimacy of their role and their right to be there at the protest. Um, Mm -hmm. At times, they were erroneously directed that they were part of the protest and they were pushed and cordoned with protesters. Uh, They were refused access to people who were being held behind police Mm lines. Junior police officers uh, on multiple occasions were... Uh, blocking communications with senior officers on site, um, and of particular concern, one of our legal observers was hit with um, with OC spray in their eyes, and then when they were try when a first aid person was trying to uh, decontaminate and treat them, they were dispersed by police again.
5: Wow, wow, wow! And i I'm, I'm just curious. You mentioned that um, several people who were locked on at the picket were arrested what what happens like is there any update on the condition of those people
12: um i don't have an update now i ha- my understanding is that that people were taken to the police station they were processed and within uh within an hour or two they were released um and uh they may they may be fronting court in the coming months
5: wow okay right so as as a whole um as you've said like many of the actions of the police on last Monday night could be considered unlawful and are at least pretty disturbing. Um, what is the mechanism to hold police accountable in situations like this where you know even outside observers and first aiders outside of uh, the action itself um, have documented potentially unlawful and definitely excessive uses of force from the police?
12: yeah so holding police accountable is um not is not easy. The police complaint system is um, extremely deficient and miles backs the call for an independent oversight body or a police ombudsman to handle those complaints. There are legal recourses, um, but you know like suing the police for unlawful use of force and harm. Um, these can be very limited, and mm. people really need to get specific legal advice about whether that's an option for them. And then there's a range of non-legal legal tactics that build um, community pressure on police, and they're really important. Um, they send a message uh, to the police and to the broader community that the police are causing harm and that that is not that is below our expectations. Um, so using media, organising with groups, letter writing, and this is exactly mm-hmm. what our statement of concern aims to do, to build that public pressure on police and hold them publicly accountable for the harm they cause.
5: Yeah right, okay, and we'll just uh, we'll just finish off by just running through the recommendations that Mal's made following the action.
12: Yeah. Uh, so as a bare minimum, Mal's just requests that Victoria Police take proactive measures to ensure that their officers comply with laws and policies governing the use of force at public mm. events. Ah, uh, we think that's a pretty basic request, um, and you know, when we're advocating for uh, for police accountability, that is, a uh, unfortunately, the, the point that we're starting from. Uh, we're also recommending that um, IBAC and the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission investigate the operational decisions that were made on Monday. Mm. We're recommending that Big Pole consult with um, the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission to improve the human rights compliance of their BPM and other policies and manuals. We've... Re- Recommended that they review and improve policies regarding medics and first aid providers and ensure that access, is, uh, access to first aid and uh, medical treatment is always available and never obstructed. Uh, we recommended that they immediately stop using the mounted branch at protest events or for other public order or crowd control, the mounted branch meaning the um, police forces. Mm. We recommended that they stop unlawfully using. OC spray, again, that's a pretty basic request. And we've recommended that they recognize the role of legal and human rights observers in their policies and training.
5: Right. Okay.
12: Um, And lastly, if anyone wants to read the statement of concern, find out more about MALS, um, they can visit our website, which is mals.au. Awesome.
5: Well, thank you so much for um, giving us some of your time and coming on air, Sophie.
12: Thank you for having me.
5: That was Sophie from the Melbourne activist legal support, uh, which issued a statement con- of concern following the uh, breaking up of the web doc, doc picket uh, in Melbourne last Monday evening We'll be back shortly.:
0: We're going to go to a song this is called "We Become What We Create by bait <laughs>
1: When we domesticated
6: animals, we domesticated ourselves. When we made robots to be like humans, we made ourselves like robots. The need to have control. The need to control all The need to hit the ball Thrown by something without a soul Technology
1: we lose
6: each exploited possibility, the human race
5: Welcome back to Monday Breakfast uh, on 3CR. We are just going to listen to Inez from Thursday Breakfast interview with Declan Ferber-Gillick. Um, we thought it was relevant to the interview we just had. Declan Verbagalek is an aboriginal writer, political organizer and representative of the Black People's Union and they are talking more about the Webdock picket which uh, as we mentioned before successfully stopped uh, Israeli shipping company Zim's vessel Ganges from docking for multiple days uh, before it was broken up by police last Monday evening. Let's listen.
13: Um, But yeah, maybe we could start off with, for maybe those who don't know, what the purpose of the community picket was over the last four days.
8: Certainly. Um, So the community picket began on um, Friday afternoon and it was called by the um, Unionist Palestine group um, and it was supported and implemented in action by um, a whole range of uh, individuals and elements and different um, political um, groups and, and factions within the community. And the function and the purpose of... The whole picket was to very specifically target um, VICT terminal um, down at Melbourne Docklands, and VICT terminal has a contract um, with Zim Shipping, which is Israel's national freighting company. And so um, we we understand uh, and we recognise that that makes uh, Zim Shipping um, not just not just complicit in, but highly active um, financially and Um, and and just in, in supplying. Israel and has and has been for a long time um, prior to the original, the first Nakba in '48. Um, Zim was set up as um, as Israel's freighter. So, because VICT has, VICT, V-I-C-T has that contract, um, the purpose of the picket was to draw attention to um, to draw attention to that, but also to stop work being done at that terminal, so that the Zim Ganges ship, which is a giant ship that was sitting out in the um, in the bay, couldn't actually come in to um, load and unload as goods. And so um, the way that we did that was to um, engage with workers at VICT Terminal um, and specifically only turn away those workers um, after after conversation and after significant canvassing and information was shared, um, only turn away those workers who operate the, um, the semi automated crane systems um, that, have, that operate down there at WebDoc. Um, so what that means is that no goods could go on or off ships, and um, and the Zim Ganges ship had to sit out in the bay. And so we wanted to do that specifically to um, put a put pressure on that the the, the vein of um, of the flow of capital um, that goes to and from the LCT team and to and from the Melbourne docks and to and from the Australian economy um, out into um, the Israeli war machine via Zim shipping. So we wanted to disrupt that work, and that's what we did for over four days.
13: Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for that breakdown. I think that really helps to contextualise it um, and how important it was. I think I also wanted to ask you, what is, I guess, the significance of this particular community, picket Because, you know, we held it for over four days. Um, Kind of everybody came together within their capacity and supported it in whatever way they could and supported people who also went. Um, And I also know that, like, the the, VA... CT in an email they said that we had you know disrupted for so like a lot of uh, disruption of capital for a few days a lot of money Uh, they even called it a critical choke point (laughs) at one point so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how significant it actually was
8: absolutely it's a great question um and I think it's really important to recognise that yeah this this action and this form of action, it goes further than um, the kinds of you know demonstration, the very justified and appropriate demonstration by people that we've seen here in Australia um, over the last, over three months of this genocide. And it, it's different and it goes further in that it was not merely a spectacle. Um, it was not merely, you know, voicing dissent. Uh, it was not merely mass mobilisation to demand change. Um, it was actually a strategic and logistically well-thought-out um, operation that that um, that actually caused a material impact, um, and and you can see that immediately from VICT's response and from the response of Big Pole, um, which is that this kind of action makes a serious difference. If it didn't make a serious difference, you wouldn't mm-hmm. have hundreds and hundreds of um, riot police down there on Monday smashing out, smashing our picket up. And so this was there were there was a lot of debate on the picket line about about how far to take this, and there were elements of ticket um and elements of the organizing, the different organizing committees that um wanted to wanted to pull back after a few rounds of success or pull back after a day or so of success. Um but I think what was really significant and, and by success I mean after you know, that the, the strategy was working, you know, we were keeping the chip out there and we were preventing the work being done. And so there were elements that really wanted to um continue to hold that pressure on and continue to escalate. And when we say escalate, we just mean we just mean refusing to leave, you know. All we were doing was peacefully disrupting a particular form of work from happening, um, and we were doing that in a, in a very respectful uh, and, and a very, uh, you know, in a diplomatic way at the terminal as best we could. And so by escalate, we just mean um, maintain the peaceful pressure. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the significance is that um, it really, really worked. And you can tell it worked because the cameras started rolling in. We forced the ICT to make a statement um, and we've got international international news coverage from um, from uh, organisations like Al Jazeera and Middle East Eye, and on um, ticket lines and in protest movements and action movements over in the UK. You know, we're getting people texting us saying, "Hey, we know about this. We see this." So the significance is we've demonstrated that um, that the community community, even a small, a relatively small group of people, um, can organise themselves and um, and take. Um, very disciplined and strategic action in a way that not only has an Im- immediate and very high impact, um, but it also inspires other people around the world to understand that this kind of thing is possible. Um, and, and, and so that's why we call for that and we want to see more of it and we will be doing more of exactly this kind of thing.
13: Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think knowing that it has had such a strong impact on capital it is demonstrating to different areas of the world and as well as us that this is this is possible this is possible in our communities um, I'm wondering if you think there are you know looking back if you feel that there are lots of wins I guess what what are your what is your perception of that because I think it can be so easy for morale to kind of be um, yeah be diminished in a way it's like yeah it was four days, um, uh, but cops came every day. And um, some people stayed like overnight for like 14 hours um, and were kind of like, I don't know when to sleep. I don't know. I think, yeah, some people may be feeling, um, yeah, I guess a bit of like morale (laughs) being diminished a little bit. But yeah, I'm wondering if you can maybe highlight what some of the wins are and what it means for community capacity to kind of come together like that.
8: Absolutely, um I think it's a great question, and um you know it's always the case that after an action or after a significant piece of you know dedicated um high high pressure work i mean i work in the I work in theater, and every time you finish finish doing a high pressure show, um there is that lull, and there is that kind of period of um that's inevitable um, and of course there will be lots of um discussions um that come out of this and and the things that didn't go perfectly, and you know there's some some friendships that, um, you know, feel a bit with the seams and uh, there's certainly, you know, things to work on within the community. Um, but people should take a lot of heart and people should take a lot of courage from the fact that um, we've really demonstrated that um, that uh, a, a relatively small group of people, organised in, orga- or, more or less organised um, in, in various different factions, worked together, struggled together to, um, to do something extremely um, powerful. And, you know... There's, aside from the immediate um, economic impact, which speaks for itself, um, we've we've taught ourselves and taught one another and come to realisations about how to do this exact kind of action, how to strategically implement um, like radical um, radical material change, um, and and we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about um, how the how the how works. We've learned a lot about um, the relationship that workers have with Victorport and have with our movement. We've learned a lot about what the, the state of um, the public consciousness is around Palestine at this time in the genocide, and um, you know, had and developed and and further further enhanced our understanding of the public will and and also of the public capacity. So we've we've learnt we've learnt um, many new logistical techniques. Uh, we we've, we've we've further consolidated who our friends are, and we've further consolidated who our
5: that was Declan Verber Gillick uh, being interviewed by Inez from Thursday Breakfast. We you can listen to the rest of that interview and much more about the web doc pickets uh from last week on the 3CR website at Thursday Breakfast.
0: Awesome. So and I've, that's all we've got for today on Breakfast Show. Hmm. What are you going to be looking forward to towards the weekend, Rob?
5: Uh This week, honestly, I'm just looking forward to enjoying my new space. Awesome. Um, Lovely. Which it's been, uh, I've been ha- like looking for a house to move to for like over three months. Wow. Um, And then in the span of two weeks, like we just had like such short notice to move houses. But it's
0: crazy though, like they were letting you move in such two weeks. (laughs) It's it's crazy. It's hectic. So like, oh my God. Yeah.
5: It's been, it's been a huge couple of weeks for me. Um, and I think I'm also just really looking forward to just being out on the street, um, and at actions for Palestine. Mm. Um,
0: are you heading to the rally this Sunday? Yeah,
5: heading to the rally and whatever else is around. Um,
0: awesome. Yeah. I also, I'm i going there as well <laughs> nice. this Sunday. So I think I'll see you there.
5: We'll be there. Awesome. What are you looking forward to, Chris?
0: Mm, for me, I think it's kind of crazy that now that I've graduated and I'm officially an unemployed. I mean, I'm technically not unemployed-employed because like, I still have my part-time. But then... Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a bit hard finding a part-time job, especially because also yep. I'm going to be moving away from yeah. Melbourne. Uh, listeners, are, you won't be seeing me anymore after the month of February, of March, <laughs> I guess, uh, listening to me. Oh my God, not seeing, mm. listening. So yeah, it's crazy. Time flies. So Time does ch- fly. Uh, it's a challenge at the moment for me, and it's making me a bit nervous and mm. pressured because... Uh, people around me have already some of them have already found jobs so it's that i'm not comparing Mm. but it's just that you know i get anxious about it so but i always tell myself okay it's only been a month since i graduated so yeah i'm just gonna try my best as much as i can so yeah you've got time you've got time yeah uh so yeah anyways listeners it's been lovely for you to continue Mm. staying Tune in to us. So I hope you every week also continuously stay, stay tuned to us. Uh, we're going to be bringing you back more interesting segments coming off the week. So yeah, listen to us. And also, yeah, tune in to every from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. So, yeah, it's been lovely having you on 3CR Breakfast.
7: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.